0: Hiya, this is uh, Rod Argent from The Zombies, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller.
1: Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 200 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Alan Clark, the original lead singer of The Hollies, another British invasion band that set the world on fire in the 1960s. He co-founded the band with Graham Nash. Alan also co-wrote a number of their hits, including On a Carousel, Carrie Ann, and Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress. And he was the lead vocalist on so many of their hits, including He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, and The Air That I Breathe. Alan and the Hollies were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010, and he's got a new album now called I'll Never Forget and we're gonna play a few of the songs from there. And as you know, I like to do with my musical guests in the middle of these episodes, what I call a song fest. We're gonna play a handful of Alan's great works and we're gonna talk about them and you'll get the backstories and nobody else does this in podcasts. And you also know that in every episode, I like to feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end and I always try to make that song relevant somehow. Well, in this instance, I'm gonna change it up a little bit because this is a first for me. My band, Project Grand Slam, actually recorded a cover of one of Alan's great songs, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. We had a female guest singer on the track and we released the song on our Spring Dance album in 2009. Who could have known back then that I would be interviewing the writer of this song 14 years later on my podcast? As the saying goes, you just never know. So, Alan Clark, I want to welcome you to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby.
0: I'm glad to be here, Robert. Have some fun.
1: It's a thrill to have you. You know, I came of age musically in the British Invasion era of the 1960s. I've talked about that many times on the podcast. And the Hollies were front and center in that era. And I'm interested, how does it feel to have influenced an entire generation of musicians?
0: Well, uh, by luck, I suppose, uh, because I never thought that I was going to becoming a famous singer at all. Uh, in my early years, but you know when you get when you get into a band and all of a sudden you're making records and loads of people are buying these things, then yeah we we were different than the Beatles and we were different from the Rolling Stones, so we had our own little segment. And Graham and I, with our distinctive harmonies, I think that maybe that's that's why a lot of bands turned on to us, like they turned on to the birds and Buffalo Springfield and all those other great bands who had their own sound. They didn't need us at all.
1: You're absolutely right. You had a unique sound back then. And Graham Nash was doing that high harmony, which is he's known for. And uh, the songs were just great. OK, just great. Fabulous. Did you ever think back then that you would be playing these songs, you know, 50 plus years later?
0: No, no, not in a million years. No, you see, when I met Graham, I mean, I'm going back 76 years when I met Graham. And uh, we were in school together. I'd moved house and I I, I went to the school. I had nowhere to sit. Graham put his hand up and there we go. We became friends. And uh, one day we'd been noticed that we, we were singing in the assemblies and they, they put us on two little chairs because, you know, we, what we? we must have been about six or seven. And uh, we did um, The Lord is My Shepherd and he started singing in harmony at that age. So that was it. You know, no one could know what was going to happen. Things just happened for
1: us. Isn't it amazing, I mean, you you know, that you guys got together, not only at that early age, but just in general. I mean, you know, that McCartney and Lennon got together, and then you and Graham Nash got together. I mean, it's just kismet that you guys met like that.
0: Well, you mustn't forget the Everly Brothers. You mustn't forget Simon and Garfunkel. There's a a lot of pairing going on in in the music business, you know. Uh, And the Righteous Brothers, the Walker Brothers, even though they weren't brothers, but, you know, I think we had, what we had together, we became very good friends. So we knew everything about each other. But Graham always had this knack uh, that if I ever started singing anything, he'd be there straight away doing exactly what he does. And uh, we, we kept that up. But, you know, we, we, we took out what we wanted to do off other people. The Apple Brothers were, you know, when they came on, well, Buddy, Buddy Holly was the first guy. That's why we called the Hollies the Hollies. And then the Everly Brothers came along, and and Graham and I wanted to be the Everly Brothers. So that's what we did. We became Ricky and Dan Young.
1: (laughs) You know, you're right that there were a lot of duos. I've had several of them on this show. I had Jeremy of Chad and Jeremy, and I had Peter Asher of Peter and Gordon. And now it's Peter and Jeremy, as you may know. Yes, yes. But I don't think that they met at such an early age and established the kind of rapport that you established with Graham Nash at such an early time.
0: It was it it was different. Let's put it that way. You know, it was just after the war. Things weren't looking good. You know, we were two young kids, short trousers, living in streets with cobbles. You know, uh, 11 people, when I say 11 people, I had four sisters and a brother, and there was my mum and dad and my grandma in a, in a three up and two down. and in, in the backyard, there was a toilet, and we had a bath in a tin bath down in a cellar. So, yes, yeah, times were different then, it really was. But I didn't notice that it was different because that's how you lived. And Graham lived in the same sort of way as I did. As all the people around me that lived in the houses were all the same people. We're all sort of working class, and uh, and we all got on. And uh, life was to me, life was great as a kid. Never saw and I never saw poverty in any way or anywhere really, because you know my mind was somewhere else. Me and Graham were going out and playing kick and things like that. Yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful childhood really.
1: That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. Okay, so you guys get together and you formed this band that becomes the Hollies. Tell us about that initial experience. I mean, I'm sure you had the whole Screaming Girls thing going on during the British invasion. What was that like?
0: Yeah, well, we did, but, you know, Graham and I had to do a lot of work before that, you know? I mean, we were in so many different bands because bands wanted me and Graham to be their lead singers, you know? So that's what we did. So if there were groups like the Four Tones, we were known as the Two Teens, we were the Gaia Tones, we were the Levins, and all those sort of things. Other people wanted to join us, and, uh, and we went around doing the clubs, like the, uh, the Cavern, you know, and the Oasis in Manchester, the, uh, the Twisted Wheel, the Iron Door in Liverpool, and that's where we did our ground homework. You know, alongside of us there were the Beatles. So there, there were lots of other groups. The Big Three, who were my favourite at that time. And we were all doing the same old clubs. And then what? Well, you know, the Beatles put a record out. And Love Me Do went in the charts. And everybody went wild. The story is that we were there. All the record companies wanted to have their own little Beatles. You know, so they signed everybody up. Uh, luckily enough, we were at the cabin one night. There was a record producer who became our record producer, and, and that was Ron Richards. He saw us and he took us, well, he didn't take us. He told us to go down to EMI recording studios and we'd, we'd, uh, we'd play some songs to see if we are good enough. Uh, we did our we did our whole act, you know. We did about 24 songs, and that became our first album. <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's like three mics it was a t- guitar, bass, and drums. It was a four-track machine, but it was magic. It really was.
1: You record the whole album in one day, like a few of the groups did back then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, but before that, you know, I was going on about all the groups we were in. We finally got uh, to it was Christmas, and it was 1962. We we had a band called the Four Tones, and we we sort of put another band together. And we were playing at the Oasis and we went on, and the guy said, What should I call you? So I say I said it, right? (laughs) And sometimes Graves says that you said it. So you know, so we don't really know amongst us who said it, but I'm taking, I'm taking it credit. And I said, Call us the Hollies. And that was when the Hollies became a band called the Hollies. So you know, you then you go into 1963 and we're making records.
1: And it all started right then and there. Hi, everybody. I'm Robert Miller, your host. As you know by now, I'm a professional musician in addition to being the host of this podcast. With my band, Project Grand Slam, I've released 12 highly acclaimed albums, including Trippin', which went to number one on Billboard. And we've got millions of video views and streams. My latest album is called Bobby M and the Paisley Parade. It's been called Album of the Year by Indie Shark. I released this album in a novel way via five episodes of this podcast. And I'm pleased to say that those episodes have been downloaded over 50,000 times in more than 130 countries. I invite you to listen to the album. It's available on Spotify, and all the other streaming services. And I also invite you to check out all the episodes of this Follow Your Dream podcast. I've had so many amazing, famous musicians and others as guests on the show, all of whom have followed their dream to success. The episodes are fun and entertaining, and we must be doing something right because the podcast is ranked in the top 1% of all podcasts with listeners in 200 countries. How about that? So every episode is like taking a world tour. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast so you get each episode when it airs. And also, please sign up for our weekly emails, which keep you up to date on everything. The links are all in the show notes. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. Okay, you know, one of the early records that you made was a big favorite of mine. And I'm talking about Pay You Back With Interest. Okay? Oof. Which we're playing a little bit of now because I got to work that in a little bit.
2: Yeah. i got so It seems unfair to leave you and sell myself the way I do. But when my wandering is over, I'll be, I'll be back with
1: interest. So tell me about your recollections of that one. Well,
0: you know, we were all, we were always writing songs. You know, we'd be on the road, and uh, the three of us would get together uh, wherever we were. You know, round a swimming pool, and we'd put our three ideas together uh, to get some songs. Pay Your back with interest was one of them. Like dear Eloise before that, and uh, pay Your back. As you say, they came in a way that we wrote the songs, and we took them to the to the producer, who said, "Well, yeah, they're really good songs, but they're not." Actually, A-sides. So that was one of the songs that was put on the B-side originally. What was the A-side of that one? Oh, I can't remember that, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> I we had 30 hits. I don't know what was on the B-sides. You
1: know? <laughs> you know, because I've had a bunch of people on the show that have told me that what started out as the A-side, somewhere along the line because of a disc jockey or otherwise, it got flipped over and the B-side became the hit.
0: Well, I mean, that's what happened with Long Cool Woman. I mean, it was on an album. I even I wasn't with the band. You know, they more or less fired me, but it's okay. I want to do my own thing. So there goes the Long Cool Woman. I'm sat at home, not, a, not got a job, and the guy from America rings me and said, I would like to publish your song. It's Freddie Beanstalk. I don't know whether you've heard of him, but he's an old publisher. And I said, well, that's nice. He said, uh, yeah. I said, well, why? He said, well, because it's going up the charts, It might might even reach number one. I said, well, go ahead, you know, just collect me some money. Uh, And who would have known that actually that song was written in half an hour with Roger Cook after drinking a half bottle of brandy together and then going to the studio. I played the guitar. I sang the song with Bobby and Bernie, our, our drummer. Ron Richard didn't produce it. And we went into the studio to get into to the, the the engineer. He said, "I've done a rough mix," and he put some slap echo on it, and that was it. So it was, really wasn't recorded in any way whatsoever to be de- deemed to be a, a single of an album. But weird things happened. and that you know, and that song is played continually, you know, everywhere.
1: Fabulous song, and you know, I've heard this story also a number of times. I just had a fellow that you probably know from the 60s, Tommy Rowe, who was on the show. Sure. Um, and Tommy was telling us this story about how when he released Sheila, which was his first hit, back then they would go in the studio, they'd record two or three songs. There was another artist that was before him. They gave him 15 minutes to record Sheila. So they they ran through it once. That was it. And that became a massive hit for him. You know, that story I've heard over and over again.
0: Well, it's like Sun Records, isn't it? When Elvis and all the great guys got there doing their stuff. You know, it's only when they had a hit, like with their two run-ins, and then suddenly they think, well, we must think about songs now. If you don't think about songs, it comes naturally, you know.
1: Curious, did the record company push you guys to develop a certain type of song or a certain type of sound like they did with so many other bands?
0: No, we already had it. (laughs) <laughs> no one had to push us anywhere it, it was me and graham and tony doing the three part and i and, and was actually joining in and writing those particular songs well not writing all of them but you know i must remember graham gulman when he, he wrote bus stop and uh and look through any window and those two those great songs for Hermes hermits you know he was around at that time so we had great songs from great writers
1: You certainly did. All right. So what was it like for you? I, you know, Graham leaves at one point to form Crosby, Stills and Nash. What was it like for you at that time?
0: Well, (laughs) this is really weird because I was in, I was in uh, Los Angeles and we just played at the Whiskey a Go-Go and, uh, I was sitting there on my own and these two chaps came up and, and they, they introduced themselves and it was Steve Stills and, uh,
1: David Crosby?
0: No, no. <laughs> Neils, that's right. Yeah. Neil Young. Neil Young. And they said to me, well, we're in a group called Buffalo Springfield. And would you come back to our hotel and, and listen to the record and see what you see, what you think? Um, well, I'd had a few drinks by then, so I didn't think. I said, OK. So I went back to the hotel and uh, went to their, their dressing uh, their room. And in the room, there was, a, there was a wardrobe, a big wardrobe, with doors open, with two speakers inside of it. Well, of course, they had reel-to-reel there as well. And uh, what well they did, they, they lit up a couple of joints, <laughs> passed them around, and really, it, dope was not, not any good for me. Uh, but just there in the room, I, I got really high. And they put me in the cupboard and switched on the thing and locked the doors. And when I came out half an hour later, Expecting to Fly has always been my famous record of all time. And I thought the Buffalo Springfield were magic magicians. They made great music. And there you go. Stephen Stills, who became a friend of mine, suddenly puts his knife in my back and steals my friend. But, you know, those are funny things that happen that you don't know. But Graham, when we first went to America in New York, I think he fell in love with with that, you know, with that field in New York. And the other times that we went, when we went to Los Angeles and, uh, and we went really well down when we played there, uh, a lot of people came to see us, uh, along with Mama Cass, who became a big friend of Graham's, and also David, who became a big friend. And I do remember that time uh, we were staying in, a, staying in a hotel, I think it was called the Beverly Comstock, and they came back to our bedroom. And the three of them, I, I was tired. I said, I'm going to bed. You know, I've know, and I could hear as I was falling to sleep, these three voices singing, uh, singing this song. And I thought, oh, that sounds really nice. That's really nice. They're having a good time. Well, little did I know that that's how the whole thing came apart, really. Well, about a couple of years after that, Graham was actually doing his little in ways into how he could actually leave the group and join. Who wouldn't, you know, (laughs) David Crosby and Stephen Stills and Neil Young, you know, who wouldn't, you know, that that he wanted that with all his heart, And he did me a favor. How so? Well, when he left, I had to become the the spokesman. And I thought, okay, I'm the lead singer. What am I thinking about? I can sing songs. And uh, so I, I went out and along came Terry Sylvester, who, who was, he was fantastic you know he was great so the worries and 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 the slight resentment right and and me thinking really really sorry for myself because i didn't really think that i was going to go anywhere all of a sudden had found this magic guy and we went out and we did what the hollies did best and had a hit straight away we sorry suzanne and then we recorded every song after that we had his, we had Gasoline Alley Bread. We had all these other songs that came out. So, you know, m- my resentment against Graham leaving me sort of just mellowed and just melted away because he didn't need me and, and I didn't need him. But it, later on, what a good thing we both did, really.
1: You know what? I'm glad that you looked at it in that fashion because uh, you, you've, you've both given the world such great music and it was not uncommon at that time for people to kind of switch and go with other combinations, and it worked out for him. And uh, like you said, you continued with the Hollies, and then you went off on your own, didn't you?
0: Yeah, I um, Well, the first time the, the boys said, you know, if you want to go and make some records on your own, you've got to leave. You know, so I did, and and that was that was the time that I started writing with um, Roger Cook and uh, and Tony McCauley and and other people. I had a lot of songs to spare, so I thought I'm going to do it anyway. So for three years, I did that. Went to America. But I think I developed four albums in Los Angeles with uh, Spence Proffer, who was my producer at that particular time. And uh, well, in the three years that I was away, the boys went out, uh, and uh, and they they tried very hard. They had a couple of hits, which was great, you know. But I thought the lead singer who sounded very much like Scott Walker. I don't think that he was the the, the right guy to sing my bus stop and things like that, you know. So eventually, Tony wanted me to go back. And I said, sure, I didn't want to leave in the first place. So, you know, let's go again. And that's when we did the other hits.
1: See, things work out for the best sometimes, right?
0: Well, it's fate, isn't it? You know, follow your heart and it won't let like, you know, it, you, you get there.
1: Follow your heart and follow your dream. That's what I've got here. Let's listen to a little bit of Long Cool Woman. I love that story that you told about how this came to become a hit. You know, tell me anything else you remember about that song, because it was a big, massive hit.
0: It was a big, massive hit. I mean, I I I wanted to go to America to promote it. Uh, But the holly said, no, uh, you're solo now. We're going to promote it. And I said to myself, well, I wonder how you're going to do that, you know, if if I'm not singing. And I think that was probably the worst mistake that the hollies ever made. Because if I had gone with them to actually promote that song, I think we'd have been a lot bigger than we were in America, because that would have just taken us in another dimension, you know. Uh, but that didn't happen. That's okay. I didn't worry about that. But we were actually inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2010. And I was a bit worried about going to do it, because I hadn't sung for 15 years. And uh, Bud Graham said, come over, we'll, we'll do it. Don't worry about it. So I did. One of the songs was Long Cool Woman. Well, when I got there and I got into the ballroom to do a rehearsal, uh, there was it's Schaefer band, Paul Schaefer. He's a brilliant guy, brilliant band. And they had two guitarists. And uh, we were going to do Long Cool Woman. And and the guitarists sort of put their their hands up like little children in the class, you know, and I said, yes. (laughs) And they said, well, the intro, we can't do it the way you do it. Can you show us? And I thought, no, you know, it, we, what do you mean you can't do it? There's a million people playing that. She said, no, we can't do it. There's a note missing there somewhere. And I thought, oh, I know what that is. So I picked up the guitar and I went, Dang, didang, that's that deadlane, which you, the st- you play the string and plug it again. But it's one of those ghost, ghost things. And when I'd done that, they said, oh, that's easy. And I said, ah, yeah. <laughs> you only know how to do it now. So, yeah. And and also that record, I did in two takes. And it was the first take that we had on the actual record itself. And there's a a line in it where I say, jumping out of doors and tables. It should have been jumping out of doors and windows. (laughs) Because we thought it was so good, the rest of it, we'd leave it in. And nobody has ever come up and said, what do you mean by it? (laughs) doors
1: and table. You get everybody thinking that way. I like that story. Well, okay.
0: they, I've heard people cover it and they sing it. You know, but she's a little people every time.
1: That's the way it is. Alright, let's go to some of the newer things that we have uh, talked about doing here. First one we're playing now is Buddy's Back.
2: And then we started a band just to have some fun. And we create
1: So, tell us about that one.
0: Well, you know, when we we're going out, we're, we're doing the, the album. I mean, we did it separately, obviously. Uh, you know, we couldn't travel, he couldn't travel. Uh, so, you know, with the magic that I'd learned in the past five years, being able to sort of make myself knowledgeable about logic and all that sort of thing. And, I, and, I, and with the other album, with this, I was actually up to doing 40 tracks and mixing them down. So, I, I felt really good about being a producer and playing things that I wasn't normally allowed to play helped very much with my songwriting. And uh, so we were doing the songs, and Graham says, you know, he said, this album's really sounding great, and uh, it's going to be his solo album, because his and my voice together had that unique Holly sound. And I don't want to get away about, you know, how good the Hollies were to me in, in, in a name and a band in every way, but, you know, because we... Because we both left, I think that the Hollies lost that sound when the, you know, the pair of us weren't in the band. So Graham quite rightly said, I think we should do your song because you're writing the sort of songs that we would have written together in, if I had Cosby, you know, that sort of thing. So we did that, and I said, well, you know, you've got to have one song and you've got to do one. And he says, well, okay, I'll, I'll write a song about Buddy Holly. And I says, okay, you go ahead and do that. And uh, and he came back sent with the track and it, it hit it right on the head you know that, that's brilliant you know and it's, it's a song that tells the story about the first time we heard Buddy and every all those rock and rollers on the radio and that we could we could only we couldn't see them you know until much later and then we tried to be them in looking in the mirror and playing the guitars and and, and then getting to the point where we could form a band and play those tunes. And then Day the every Brothers as well. And it's just that little two and a half minute thing that says it all about me and Graham and how Buddy Holly actually gave us the impetus to be able to get to where we are now. Yeah. And it's catchy. It just sounds like a Buddy Holly song.
1: It does. And it's a, it tells the story, like you said. Brilliant.
0: We thought this would be the reintroduction of, of Graham and I back to where we were with that sound.
1: Good for you. All right, next one we're doing is Journey of Regret. Us about that one.
0: A journey of regret was on a an album called Resurgence, which is my first album that I had out. And uh this was a thing that I never thought I'd ever do. Right. And uh and it was the first time that I'd ever tried to record anything. And again I sat down and I and I wrote about 12 songs. And uh and I, I actually I was quite surprised that I was able to do that. And um, I had a friend in uh, Los Angeles who I sent them to and I think him secretly sent them to somebody else who just happened to be the CEO of BMG, you know, Hartwig Masso. And he ran me up and said, Let's have lunch. So we did. And he said, Well, when you finished your album, I want to put it out. I said, Really? He said, Yes, I would really like to put it out. So he did. And it went quite well. And I surprised myself. I think I surprised a lot of people. It, that were that were friends who never thought that I was going to come back. So I really enjoyed doing that, and and, and that actually projected me to be able to do this album uh, with Graham. But I'll never forget. But journey of regret is is a song of about things that happened to me in my lifetime, all put in one liners. You know, happiness, sadness, uh, anger, revenge. You know, sentiment, and they're all they're all put together and there are, there were a lot of things that I wished I had done so I regretted that and I wish there was something that I didn't do which I regretted so it was my life has been a journey of
1: regrets okay let's do one more I think this is also from Resurgence I'm Coming Home
2: it's the start
0: Well, again, when I was doing the demos, people were saying to me, you know, your voice is deeper, but, but it's richer and it sounds mature what you're doing. And uh, and you know, you haven't lost it. You know, you should should keep on doing it, you know, and do your do your album and um and and just see what happens. And that particular song is about me sitting there wondering what I was gonna do. Either I take that journey or I don't take that journey. So I'm standing at a station with a ticket in my hand and I'm going home because the people said that I could do it. So therefore, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to reach for the sky and see what happens. And it's a very strong song about someone making it home in music.
1: Yes, it is a strong song. We have been speaking here with Alan Clark, the great Alan Clark, who was the voice of the Hollies. And you know what? Your whole journey from where you started with graham and then the hollies and then off on your own and coming back now it's a really lovely story and i'm so glad that you're back doing it the way that you are thank you so much for being on this podcast
0: thanks for having me on robert and you know there's lots of stories i could tell that just leave you speechless
1: (laughs) i'm sure you're right we'll do a part two We are going to listen now to that song that started off the podcast. It's my cover version from 14 years ago of one of Alan's great songs, He Ain't Heavy. He's my brother. I want to thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at Robert at dot com. And you can hear more from his band at Project dot com and at the